everybody. Welcome to the Keychains Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Ryan. So, some exciting news for this podcast. Uh, we actually have a giveaway to deal with at the end here, so stick around and uh, we'll give you the details on how you can participate in that. Uh, however, uh, we only recorded three days ago, so we haven't had any new play experiences since then. Unless you did some Crucible or something that I wasn't aware of. No, uh, it's been it's been hectic still, so I haven't really uh, done any playing either. Usually it's Tuesday nights for us. So I guess I don't know if we've ever gone over our recording schedule. We record on um, Saturday mornings uh, or Sundays, one of those two days. Today happens to be Sunday. Uh, and then we release on Fridays. That gives Steve ample time to edit around full-time job and wife um, and social life. So... Because he went to a convention last weekend, we didn't record until Wednesday, and so he had to race to get it up. So we have only had, we would have played on Tuesday, uh, and then that got snowed out. So we have not actually really had our weekly play experience available to us, and none of us really found time to play outside of that. That is, yeah, that's, that's, just, that's fair. <laughs> and this concludes the episode of A Week in the Life of Ryan and Steve. I did get new decks. You did. Um, Happy birthday, Steve, by the way. Uh, for those oh that don't God. know, the, the uh, by the time you'll listen to this, uh, Steve will be a it's a week past Steve's birthday. So feel free to wish him a belated happy birthday. Great. <laughs> and his social security number is no. <laughs> so uh, the interest, the most interesting thing about uh, the the plentiful uh, Keyforge decks that I received, which I <laughs> received a total of seven. So thank you to everybody who bought me Keyforge decks. Uh, I got four Logos decks for once. Finally, right? Um, one of them actually ends up having a Time Traveler in it, which is super cool. But none of the other shenanigans that you can pull with uh, a Time Traveler. I got one that has Library Access. But none of the shenanigans that you can really pull with library uh, with library access. Although it does have a lab work and two phase shifts. There um, you go. So that's pretty cool. The other one has uh, a Mobius scroll in it. Uh, then the other, the last one has a library access phase shift wild wormhole, and then uh, a neutron shark and a psychic oh, bug. So that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited to give these a shot uh, in the near future. But now I just have this stack of deck, like stack of decks on my desk here that I need to sleeve and whatnot. Psychic Bug is the one where you can look at your opponent's hand, right? I believe so. Uh, uh, yep, that is the play reap, look at your opponent's hand. And it gives you an ember for its existence. Ooh, nice. Uh, so what you need is a Psychic Bug, Phase Shift, and then control the weak so you can shut down exactly what you want out of their hand or restrict it oh, to shut down. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of that, uh, hang on. I did get a a uh, Shadows Sanctum uh, disc deck that yeah. has Restringitus in it. It also has uh, True Baru in it. And it has a Collar of Subordination in it. Okay. So Collar of Subordination is a an upgrade that you play on a creature, and it is you gain control of this creature. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. 
Uh, this deck has quite a few rares in it, actually. It has a safe space, uh, which is the one where you, anytime you gain amber, you, or you can use an action to put one amber from your amber pool into or onto safe space. Yep. Then it's just like a Screaming Cave is also one of the other discards, which I actually don't have a ton of experience with. Uh, but it is a an action art or sorry, it's an artifact with action. Shuffle your hand and discard pile into your deck. So kind of like reverse time, but more just starting fresh as opposed to flipping the two. So the last interesting thing uh, through my decks is I also got another deck with Annihilation Ritual in it, but it also has a key hammer in it. <laughs> so yeah, so and then the last uh, kind of noteworthy bit in one of my decks here is I got one that has a key hammer, which is an action play if your opponent forged a key on their previous turn. Unforge it, your opponent gains six. So, I mean, it's just a delaying tactic. It doesn't, I mean, unless you can steal it away, you can't yeah. really, you pretty much well, give them a key. Oh, yeah, key hammer plus a bait and switch. Well, you can't do that. Yeah, but, well, I mean, you just give them their key back. Yeah, I mean, you have, like, Pit Demon and, like, in different things that you can kind of control amber with there but yeah you're pretty much giving them the key back uh, at the end of your turn right just but that's fine you might you yeah you might be able to steal the ember maybe you have like a too much to protect or something you can just like shut them down uh it's definitely a good card uh, i also so when i went to get steve uh his birthday present which is called the key force decks as he mentioned uh, i also got some presents for myself and got some key force decks i actually uh i've been talking uh episode after episode about how clever i was for not getting the starter um and i apparently that was just because it wasn't available because when i went to the store they had one available and i caved and bought it <laughs> so all my talk about how i was so clever saving money by not getting a starter and just using those other tokens and then i got it the first chance i had <laughs> hey i mean it's um, two decks and all those tokens like it's yep. pretty worth it Right. The, I found the tokens to be pretty useful. Um, so I got that uh, and I got a couple other decks. So the store owner, and this is not unusual, but the store owner had a, he had an unopened booster box. Well, I guess deck box. Um, and then he had a partially uh, open box of decks. Uh, and so I asked if I could buy the unopened one because I figured, you know, enough of us play that, you know, I could just resell it, not to make a profit, but just resell it to us so that we had a, a stock or whatever. Um, and, you know, open all the rest of them myself, or probably all of them myself. Um, <laughs> I mean, let's be realistic. Uh, and he said no, he, he wanted to keep it to two decks per customer. Um, so I, I don't remember who, but we mentioned it to someone and they were just surprised, like, oh, they didn't want to just sell you all the decks. And I was like, well, no, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask, but it makes sense that they want to kind of keep it and spread it around to everyone. So, I mean, how frustrating would it be to, you know, see their facebook announcement they just got decks in and show up and they're all gone because two people came in and wiped them out yeah it's something i've seen quite a bit on facebook people are just posting up like hey we got decks in but uh we're limiting them to two to per you know two per person uh so i mean right. it's definitely a good sign uh people are buying decks so it's yeah and given the nature of the game, I mean, it's not like it's a big deal that they limit you to two because they're going to be random anyway. Even if you bought the entire box, it, there's no guarantee you'd get anything pants-droppingly amazing um, or jaw-droppingly amazing. <laughs> Freudian slip. I heard pants-droppingly amazing, and the the way it came out of your mouth, it sounded totally different. Like I was like, is this some yeah. like <laughs> adjective that I haven't heard before? 
I guess maybe like if you don't have a belt on and you're holding your pants up and then like uh, someone shows you something amazing and you just like put your hands on your head, like flabbergasted and then your pants drop. That's like, that's what I was going for. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, those of us that don't wear belts, apparently. No, so that was that was neat. No, sorry, that was neat. So uh, out of the decks that I got, um, I got I got a couple neat ones. Um, I got a deck with two reverse times and a library access. So that'll be fun. I got a yeah for me um i got my first two brobnar decks not including the one in the starter so that's cool but uh i don't know it's uh i think one of them had like five rares in it i don't have it in front of me i don't have my phone to look up the uh, the deck list either um nothing nothing too amazing but they're promising we'll see uh we'll see how they go maybe next episode we'll have had well we should have had a chance to play by then um so we can talk about how these uh how ridiculous these decks might be yeah, so we'll I guess check back in with all of that. I'm still still feeling that high from uh, Age of Ascension. Like I'm, I just want to see the cards come out. I know. You know, it's funny they announced like, oh, it's gonna be uh, like we're announcing our second set, and I'm like, you know what? Honestly, they could just be announcing their second print run, and I would be almost as excited as as hearing about a new set. These decks are so hard to come by. Oh, and uh, I wanted to mention too that uh, I I kind of felt bad. Well, at first I was like, oh, well, I'll get steve some keyforge decks for his birthday that'll be cool and and i shouldn't really have that much of a problem because these are hard to come by so he might be the only ones he gets for his birthday no of course you get like seven at the same time i didn't really feel bad because the nice thing about these being procedurally generated is i know that at least my two decks are going to be unique and no one else got you the same decks so that is true yeah it was a it was a nice surprise i didn't, wasn't really expecting anything and then we just got like a whole bunch of stuff dumped on dumped on me and i was like oh hey well <laughs> here we go i'm gonna have uh quite a bit of time to or quite a bit of play time here out of all these decks actually the neat thing is it finally pushed me over to uh a key in uh in the app oh nice so now i have a nice key i know i was thinking like oh man i hope steve gets a really sweet deck but not sweeter than any of my decks because i still need to beat him <laughs> when we do any tournaments so so i hope i get a really sweet deck out of the ones i opened and then steve gets one just slightly less sweet yeah we have uh we have one coming up here actually <laughs> in Mar- uh, march like first first weekend of march yep. yeah that's second right. weekend of march i think it's the nope second weekend of march we're going to a local convention that'll have it uh a sealed, sealed. actually so our our deck quality will be irrelevant that's true yeah but it'll be fun so i'm excited <laughs> about that it will i'm sure there'll be pickup games and stuff too. yeah so uh so i guess we'll we'll move on to the main topic here yep, which is going to be the lore of keyforge um as someone that grew up uh, with Magic, one of the things that I loved most about Magic was the lore. It was this crazy multiverse of different worlds and everything mixing together. And um, it was it was really interesting just how Planeswalkers worked and everything else. So I was excited when, um, when Keyforge came out because it was also a Richard Garfield jam. So it would have that same sort of crazy lore that magic did in terms of you know quality depth that kind of thing so i was really excited to kind of dive into this episode and do my research and everything and i i don't think i'm disappointed here <laughs> um there's a well there's still a lot of open-ended questions but also we've only got one set so true i'm expecting there's going to be a lot more uh that comes out but what we do have is pretty sweet so let's start off with the crucible first you mean the website that you play the game on yeah well it's named after something from the lore Oh. Yeah, I thought it sounded familiar. No. Uh, so the Crucible is the world on which Keyforge takes place. It's an artificial planet built by these beings known as the Architects. Um, they're colloquial known because no one actually knows what they are, who they are, where they are, or anything. They just 
know that they exist and they created the crucible and uh for all that we know they're still creating the crucible you see the crucible is an amalgamation of tons of different worlds it's almost a multiverse jammed into a single planet it's huge it's monstrous in size there's different gravities in different areas there's different atmospheres there's different terrain um and what the architects have done is they've taken materials or or even chunks of other planets and use them to make the crucible uh for example or that's how we have mars in keyforge is because they took resources and the people of mars and plopped them into the crucible so they you know are just there they're mars except they're our mars but they're over on the crucible um so some of these creatures keep to their original ways, like Mars, for example. Some of them give up their cultures and join with houses, and they kind of take uh, they take on new aspects, new roles. Some of them blend cultures. It kind of depends on the the species that comes through. Uh, and some of them are just insane, like this. <laughs> I mean, are they insane, or are they calculatingly... Right. <laughs> Not exactly, and we'll get to that. Um on one of the spires, so the geography of the Crucible is such that there are different layers and different levels, and at least Call of the Ancients, uh, no, wow, Call of the Archons, <laughs> well, I saw, I have a, in the show notes, I have the abbreviation C-O-T-A, and so in my mind, it popped up Dota, oh. which is Defense of the Ancients, so my brain conflated the two. All right, uh, so Call of the Archons takes place in a single layer of the Crucible. So it's almost like, uh, like I mentioned, it's a multiverse jammed into a planet, and then there are layers that are even varied within that. Um, and it doesn't seem, from what I've what I've been reading and everything, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of travel between the layers and the levels of the Crucible. Um, they just know that these other layers and levels exist. Interesting. Like the reason why I find that interesting is uh, there. There is definitely like flavor text in the game that that kind of does rope in a lot of the uh the the lore that you're reading like if you look mm -hmm. at full moon uh the flavor text on that is mathematically a moon orbiting the crucible is impossible and then it's the second <laughs> line of then what is that uh so yeah i mean that the, the layers part of that totally makes sense now so all right yeah. that's that's super cool yeah uh and so at one of the polls there's only one mention that i've seen at one of the poles, and I don't know if it's north or south or if there's an east pole, um, but the uh, there's this thing called the spire, and it's this giant tower that apparently goes through every level, um, and no one knows its purpose or anything. So I imagine either they'll never tell us, uh, or it'll be in some kind of future expansion that it becomes relevant. Maybe mm -hmm. that's where the architects live. Uh, I didn't see anything that implied that people went to the spire and came back, so maybe it's like something super deadly or surrounded by deadly stuff seems kind of dark towery to me <laughs> kind of right maybe that's where the architects live and you know so um we've talked a lot about the crucible the world itself that brings us to the archons which is what we the players are embodying or at least what our decks are embodying so when you look at your deck you see the name of it uh, if you aren't already aware the name of the deck is actually the name of the archon archons are powerful godlike beings who seek to open the vaults of knowledge left behind by the creators of the crucible the architects um they don't really hire different houses so much as they attract followers uh, from among the different houses yeah 
Um, I thought it was like a mercenary type of thing. They'd show up and be like, hey, you, old Bruno, come with me, and I'll give you a bunch of money. Um, and old Bruno's like, yeah, team. But it's more that old Bruno runs into an Archon and is like, hey, you know what? I like the cut of this guy's jib. And just kind of starts following him around. Now, that's not to say that following an Archon around isn't lucrative. Um in fact, Shadows, the House Shadows, uh, one of the reasons a lot of those people join up with Archons is because of money. Um, Archons will find treasure, they'll find resources. Uh, in the vault, once you do open a vault, uh, the Archon wants the knowledge that's in the vault, but there's other stuff too. Um, and the various houses and stuff, you know, the people from the houses can go in there. So it's not like there's contracts between these houses and the Archons, which is kind of cool. Um, although it doesn't make a lot of sense then how I can have an old Bruno and you can have an old Bruno, but Hey, you know what? Nothing's perfect. So the characteristics of an Archon is that they kind of have this ageless wisdom about them. They can speak to any sentient creature. They're actually just beings of pure energy, but they can manifest a physical body when they want to. And they're obsessed with learning. Um, and in some of the stories, they actually talk about, uh, how, when they open a vault, it's kind of like adding a piece to themselves and they add enough pieces and they become whole. They become their true whole complete self and then they ascend and disappear. Hmm. Um, so no one really knows what happens after that to the Archons. Maybe that's a future expansion where you get super Archons with four houses. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so there's not really a lot knowing. It's just that Archons are driven to these vaults to kind of find the the pieces of themselves that they need to ascend to their next level of existence. Oh, um, interesting. And, and the vaults do contain knowledge. So it's not like they just, they like go in. Please. I mean, it, it makes the, the card, the, the Archon card list. I, I guess it does. That does a neat job of tying like why right. they look yeah. the way they do on the backs of the, the cards. Like that's super cool. Yeah. So those are kind of like their energy forms in a way. Um, but they're not really beholden to any particular look or style or anything. Now, and Archons have personalities, too. Um, the different houses, uh, I mean, the houses themselves have personalities, and then they become, uh, you know, a little more attracted to following a particular Archon based on the characteristics of that Archon, how that Archon has behaved. So what is a Keyforge game? Well, if two Archons come across a vault, uh, they both race to complete the keys that are needed to open it. Um, and there's some, there's some little bits of the lore that seem to indicate that the vaults, you don't usually find a vault without another Archon around. Um, and the, the Archons kind of wonder if that's deliberate on the part of the vault. Like maybe the better the reward of the vault, the more it sends out a, a signal, so to speak, to draw Archons in to fight over it. Uh, and that is what they do. It is a fight. It's not... It's not just like a, a friendly game of chess type of thing. Um, they, it's kind of like part sacred ritual, part sporting event, and part bare knuckle brawl. Um, it's often violent, but it's rarely deadly for anyone involved because the archons have such powerful, unique abilities that they can keep someone from dying even if they get you know knocked out. And I guess that also represents how you can shuffle your deck back together and still get the same creatures because maybe your archons getting them back up off the ground and sending them in for another round. That makes um, sense. Yeah. So the uh, what happens is all the all the creatures are running around trying to get Ember and bring it back to the Archons that that Archon can forge a key to open the vault. Um, the Ember is a mineral 
uh, or something like a mineral. It's a substance that interacts on a psychic level. Uh, and that'll be important later for house dis. Um, it's not like, it's not like diamonds or anything. It's just, it's this weird psychoactive substance that's solidified and hard. Um, and then keys are not necessarily how they appear in the game. It's not like a disc that they jam ember into and they're like, boom, score. Or it's not like a physical object necessarily. They can just kind of, they just manipulate the ember and satisfy the needs of that particular vault and a key is quote unquote forged. Um, Interesting. So it's more of a nebulous concept of forging a key than it is anything else. And they mentioned that like one of the, uh, one of the people is like, Oh, so do you need me to take that over to my anvil and forge it into a key for you? And the archon's like, Nope, I got this. And they just kind of pretty much snap their fingers and it's good. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So it's kind of neat. So I guess, I mean, obviously for the purposes of a game, we need a physical construct to denote when we forged a key, but in the, uh, in the lore aspect, it's not really so hard and fast. It's also probably makes sense as to why, like the tokens don't look like physical, like what are, know what we would think of as a key and they're just more like this weird relic right yeah unless you're trying to like use the edge of the key as a like a quarter to unscrew something it's not going to get you into a door (laughs) well i always i think what i've thought of when you know you're kind of looking at the the tokens themselves and you know before we kind of went into this this lore stuff is i always looked at it like i guess uh like there's a lot of i kind of always looked at it like you're placing the keys inside in set into the 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 vault itself right like there's three like there's almost like three little things on the door and you're jamming the ember into each one to unlock them when you get all three open then the door opens that or you just putting that whole like physical key oh i see into, i see like a slot and it just like lays flush i that that's how i perceived it no i gotcha i gotcha so this that's interesting that that definitely that changes my mental picture quite a bit. And you know what? Now that I'm now that I'm thinking about because I had the same mental image, like, oh, okay, so you you take your object and you put it in the door in the almost Indiana Jones style, and the vault opens and yeah, you win. But that doesn't make sense if there's two archons each with three keys, you know? Yeah, because then it would to, be yeah. whoever forges the third one opens the vault as opposed to whoever forges three of their own. So I guess now now that I'm looking back on that, you know, we were both dumb, but. <laughs> i don't think it's dumb no, it's just more there's just two doors each one each person has their own door they're like okay who's gonna get their door open first so uh when it comes to the houses then so the different houses have very distinct styles i mean most of us are already going to be aware of that from playing the game and honestly most of us will already have a pretty solid idea of the personality of these different houses it's very they've done a great job of really embodying the the play style and giving you a good feel of like what this house is all about based on the cards. Like even without flavor text, you can just see from the art and from the effect of the card, what its purpose is, what it's, what it cares about. Um, But we'll still run through it because there's some extra notes, uh, you know, beyond that. So we'll start off. These were, uh, I just lifted this information by the way, mostly from the rule book itself, along with a little bit of external sources. Um, So these are all alphabetical. So we'll start with Brabnar. Uh, for Brabnar, strength matters most. Um, all they care about is strength, um, and whoever's strongest is most important. Uh, they looks like they're a series of clans. Um, they, when they came to the Crucible, uh, there's rumors that they had like Nordic ties, um, but it's not necessarily hmm. true. 
and it, it they mention like a, a journey from Valhalla. Um, so there's there's definitely some Nordic ties there, but it's not clarified that they are specifically from Earth, because uh, that would be where the Nordic ties come from. However, they are mostly giants, so that could you know quote unquote explain. Uh, where giants, you know, like like Vikings may have actually been fighting giants on our world, and then all the giants disappeared because they got sucked out to the Crucible and formed the Robnar. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them are, uh, like I said, giants. They're about three meters or nine feet tall, give or take. Um, at some point, goblins started hanging out with them, um, and the Robnar were like, that's cool, but like they treat them more like servants because they're not so physically strong, even if the goblins are very clever. Uh, they kind of work around the fact that they're servants. Um, Brobnar love big, loud things. They like explosions. They prefer like hand-to-hand combat, but they're also okay with giant cannons and explosive rockets, so range combat is, is cool for them, too. Um, they're very similar to 40k Warhammer 40k orcs, if you're familiar with that IP, with that game, uh, except they're not stupid like orcs are. Um, but they're very much that like yeah it needs to go faster it needs to be bigger it needs to be louder um which is pretty funny uh and then they they prefer archons that are also uh, that show physical strength um most of the time if an archon right. wants to attract a brobnar person to their clan they're going to have to take a physical body and show some kind of feat of strength for the brobnar to be impressed enough to follow them around so it's interesting I, I guess with, with like the the base rulebook lore that they have, and and now that they're bringing up these these new uh, Brobnar giants who are like more maybe not pacifists, but you know we we talked about a couple of them during the the last episode. But <laughs> I, I'm interested to see how they tie those into the the kind of base lore that they have written well, uh, for Brobnar right now. Well, remember the the thing that matters most to Brobnar is strength. It doesn't mean that you have to go around slamming everyone's head into walls. Um, so even though there's, you know, like the, the pacifist one that's laying in a pasture sniffing a flower, he's still got what, like 11 power or something. He's like six power. Six. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking of the other one, the Titan one. Yeah. The, um, the Titan so, I mean, six strength is still strong. It just doesn't need to show it all the time. So I think that still that's jives fair. with what Brobnar is trying to do. It's just conditional strength, you know? I think the 40k orcs thing was like putting that thought process in my head. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, they're not they're not necessarily aggressive like the 40k orcs either. It's just that they love the same sort of things. Like honestly, they would probably be BFFs. They they seem a lot like uh I I mean, I guess it works in that sense of of them being like Nordic in in nature is like they seem a lot like like Salvatorian barbarians. Yeah. Uh, from like Forgotten Realms or something like that. Yep. That's a very good uh parallel as well. Um, so we'll move on to Dis. The Dis creatures, uh, according to the myths and stories of everyone on the Crucible, are these half-demon nightmares that live between worlds. Um, and they eat people uh, for sustenance. Um, so are they like half-demon, half-nightmare? Uh, I think it's more that they're half-demon, half-something, and that that is a oh. nightmare in and of itself. <laughs> oh, okay. Um so logos kind of shuts that down hard they're like no um science come on guys and so they think that the uh the dis are like half mechanical ish construct things and that when they live in between worlds they actually live between the the current layer that keyforge takes place in and another layer 
And in that in-between oh. space, they're, they're kind of like sensory deprived. And so they come out from there and consume ember and take people because they want like the extreme emotions. Um, and they can kind of consume that, that psychic energy for sustenance. And then people reply to that by saying, yeah, that still sounds like half demon nightmares that live in between worlds. So I'm, I'm pretty sure we're saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, in reality, the, you know, like what we know as players, uh, the dis are living beings. Um, they consume Ember. They are slightly crazy, but not like completely insane or anything. Um, the, they, they're kind of psychically oriented and consuming Ember um, is how they kind of just sustain themselves. Uh, they also like out like the extreme emotions. And since Ember is a psychoactive substance, they get that kind of uh, experience from consuming the ember um there's demons and imps in disc culture uh and the demons are like top rank and then imps are kind of the lower rung um gotcha and they're very part sorcery part technology uh when i say sorcery there isn't really a concept of actual magic in the game it's more uh psychic ish pseudoscience powers that are granted by consuming ember or being around ember so they don't actually have magic abilities um no one does in fact and that's kind of dis so they're they're still half demon nightmares they're just you know not literally from hell uh so logos uh logos are very egotistical um they're probably i think more than any other house in the game they are the most obvious in terms of what they are, what they do, what they care about, uh, just from looking at the cards. Um, they're, they're very egotistical. They care about science and learning and inventions and technology. Um, they have kind of split themselves into two broad groups, the theorists and the mechanists. mechanists. The theorists care, obviously, as the name implies, about theories and... Uh, rationale and coming up with explanations for things and the mechanists are more on the building side of things they build the inventions um you know they get their hands dirty so to speak uh and each of those groups think that the other group is inferior so hmm. you know <laughs> there's a lot of tension i guess at dinner parties um yeah that's that's interesting that there's like not infighting but i guess in, it is kind of in squabbling yeah yeah um so they're they are they're, if you're familiar with magic uh they're blue like they're quintessential blue um so uh, and maybe i should go through and mention too what these guys want from archons this what it wants from an archon is it wants that that sensory experience it wants an archon to be able to kind of bring it um bring them out get them amber get them fed so to speak um the logos what they want is just learning experiences the the logos are very very curious about archons and learning more about archons so they're just naturally drawn to an archon from a study perspective um but the archons can also kind of promise them knowledge and, and new experiences that they appreciate as well um mars uh has not changed since they've arrived at the crucible they were on their last legs back on mars they had used a type of mineral or substance called cavorite uh that fueled all of their vehicles and technology but it polluted mars and they were just about to pretty much go away uh when they were lifted and dumped onto the crucible um, now they use ember in all of their devices and technology instead um 
and they are very very much the same they coming so close to the end of their species they've become very xenophobic and they very much adapt uh, adopted the idea that mars must live on at all costs and they don't want really anything to do with anyone else they want all the technology they want all of the things they you know mars comes first um for them uh they have built flying saucers um but for some reason they can't get into orbit maybe it's because they're trapped between layers i don't know um but they're a little irritated about that uh as far as mars goes they have two groups um they have elders and soldiers elders are the ones that have kind of the long necks um you see if you if you kind of look at the different art on the uh, the mars cards you'll see kind of two different visually distinct types of creatures uh, the soldiers are the little guys that usually use the guns and blast stuff. Uh, soldiers are heavily used, uh, or cloning is heavily used with the soldiers, um, and they are not supposed to have a personality or individualistic thought, um, whereas elders are more concerned with that. Um, Mars is actually not a big fan of the Archons, but they understand that sometimes, mostly it's because they they fear that be, uh, exposing soldiers to the Archons might give them uh, new experiences and new thoughts that they don't want them to have. Um, but they also understand that the Archons can get them more power and materials and stuff like that. So it's kind of a necessary evil. You can see a lot of that in the cards. Honestly, the the way you kind of destri- describe this structure, it seems very like all, like Invader Zim, the like, yeah. almighty tallest kind of thing. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> Man, I haven't seen that show forever. I need to go back to it at some point, rewatch it. Uh, so that brings us to Sanctum. In this layer of the Crucible, there are a bunch of floating islands. Um, some people say that it's a construction project that hasn't been started yet by the architects, or it's part of the next one. Some people say it's left over from the last construction project, but one way or the other, people live on these islands. Um, the islands uh, are collectively governed and referred to as the Sanctum. Um, the Sanctum is uh, mostly run by the Church of the Opened Eye, which is their logo. Oh. Yeah. Um, I didn't see a so whole lot. So your joke about Sanctum was cer- certainly not too far off from reality. No. Well, mine was that they were the Church of the, uh, or it was the Order of the Excavation Point. Oh, that's right. That's right. Logos that's right. is the one that looked like an eye to me. That's right. Yeah. Um, so for tech, for tech and weapons, the cool thing about the Sanctum folk are that they... Since ember is a psycho psychoactive substance, um, I feel like I'm using the wrong word for that. It's like psychoreactive. There we go, psychoreactive substance. So no, it's ember doesn't get you high; it just reacts to your psyche. <laughs> That's I guess maybe a, a, an important distinction there. Um, so as a psychoreactive substance, um, ember they the sanctum people put ember into their armor and into their weapons and into their technology and the wielder of that technology or weapon or whatever their their will their belief gets funneled through the psychoreactive substance of the ember and powers up their weapons and armor and everything so that's why they get like these cool hallowed blasters and giant glowing laser swords it's because you know they're they're funneling their own uh psyche through the ember into these weapons to make them more powerful yeah not to like continue drawing the 40k aspect of of and i feel bad because we keep drawing like (laughs) like lines to different fiction but like it definitely does have that that sort of uh eldar like our weapons are just 
they only work because of psychic energy kind of thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Sanctum really, they're big fans of uh, Archons. They've got the foam fingers. They like Archon number one. Um, because the Archons are kind of what they aspire to eventually be as beings of like perfection and pure energy. That's kind of what Sanctum is going for. Um, I should also say living in Sanctum is if, if you're not one of the knights or anything, um, you're kind of a lesser class, but it's still pretty great. Like, you know, everything's peaceful. It's very idyllic. Um, you've got food, you're protected, not a whole lot going wrong. Um, so it's, it's kind of like paradise, so to speak. Uh, and then the knights obviously have, um, like they, they kind of, they make everyone else eschew personal belongings for the most part. Um, like, like ostentatious personal belongings, obviously you're allowed to have like, you know, your own shoes. Um, but like no palaces or, or riches or anything like that. But then the churches themselves have a lot of, um, a lot of that, but it doesn't, I didn't get the sense of it being corrupt. I got it more as a sense of kind of like, look, you guys don't need money. You're doing fine. We'll just take all the money and make super cool churches and have all sorts of awesome technology that we'll use to go like fight stuff. And keep things idyllic. Exactly. Um, so Sanctum's pretty neat. Uh, so then on to shadows. Uh, shadows are, uh, it was a race of elves called the Svar, S-V-A-R-R. Um, they're organized loosely into different guilds, although uh, they are, you know, they originated as a, a particular race of elves. Other races can join them after they arrived on the Crucible. Um, they mostly rely on subterfuge and trickery and theft, um, classic kind of like rogues from D&D or really any IP. If you think of like a classic thief, classic rogue, um, this is totally what Shadows is. And you can get that from their cards too. They steal Ember, they capture Ember. Um, you can deal damage after you steal something, stuff like that. I mean, it's pretty, you know, pretty clear that they, they hit the nail right on the head as far as what they're going for. Right. The cool thing with Shadows is that their history, it speaks of a time where they lived in like a well, like a, well, not well lit, but like they lived in the light and they, uh, everything was happy and everyone was cool and everything was great. And then for some reason they were pushed into the shadows with a capital S and they were forced from that point on to scavenge, uh, to survive and kind of fall into these subterfuge trickery theft habits, um, to get by, um, it's unclear if this happened before they came to the crucible or if this event was their arrival in the crucible, like they were in a happy great land and then they got sucked into the crucible. And that was the time of shadows that forced them into this life. Or if that happened and that's what drew them into the crucible, who knows? Um, so I thought that was a pretty cool little bit of lore. Most of their tech is stolen or scavenged or repurposed. But one of the things that makes them unique is their stealth cloaks their invisibility cloaks if you actually look on the art of um the different shadows creatures and even some of the other shadow stuff you'll see that they have these little metal plates with three kind of black dots on them those are the stealth generators oh i mean and that then ties into their their house icon right. as well yes actually yeah that's right duh and uh they also that give, that's what gives them the elusive ability too Oh. So they cover themselves in these in these stealth patches, so to speak, and that gives them like full body coverage for stealth. Um, as far as what they look for in an Archon, uh, they prefer Archons that will get them stuff. <laughs> 
it's it's very lucrative for them to accompany archons because it gives them access to more technology and all the stuff they look for um so it's, it's really just pretty much not picky well, right it's really a materialistic benefit for them um right so that brings us to the last house untamed untamed is literally everything else um it's all of the wild animals plants fungus everything that is not one of the other houses is untamed um it's kind of the way of describing like the the wilderness um anything that's not part of a civilization is like part of this untamed um including people if there's people that kind of didn't really find a place in civilization and they left civilization then that's why you have you know humanoid people in the untamed like the witch of the eye and uh choda hazari those are all people that just preferred to be out in the wilderness um they can consume ember and as we kind of saw from the dis uh if you consume ember it gives you weird psychic powers um people interpret that as magic so the witch of the eye isn't so much a witch that uses magic as she has psychic powers from eating all this ember uh, and they can also commune with creatures as a result of that so you know you can see them talking to plants they're very druidic in that sense which you also get from the art style if you look at them yeah um the cool thing about the untamed lore is it mentions that there are mechanical fairies in the crucible that are charged with maintaining the different biospheres and to a degree keeping balance between the different species of animals and everything i think the, the main point is that they they make sure nothing goes extinct but they don't really stop anything from interacting with anything else so they're not going to stop a bear from eating a wolf, but they might step in to try to make sure wolves don't go extinct as a result. Or maybe they don't. I don't know. It wasn't really clear. They just maintained a balance. <laughs> um, but when you see like dew fairies and stuff, uh, those are um, those mechanical beings that are used um, to keep balance in the biospheres, which is pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Um so that's kind of it for the house. Oh, so as far as why the Untamed would hook up with an Archon, it's really all over the place. Um, they're all kind of wild animals uh, for the most part. So they can have a variety of reasons for joining up with an Archon. Uh, a lot of times it can be because Archon, Archons provide them with a, uh, a regular supply of like food, um, an easygoing lifestyle that's a lot less dangerous than having to live out in the woods. Uh, and defend yourself all the time so you know, a whole bunch of different reasons they can join up with the archon also consuming ember and archons tend to find ember so you know there's that too yeah archons yeah. are not the only things that want ember so yeah <laughs> clearly uh, yeah so i mean that's um, that's kind of it for yeah. what we know for the lore um as far as where you can find the lore there's obviously the rule book itself uh if you don't have a physical copy of the rule book you can get it right from fantasy flight games um if you go to their site you go to the keyforge site they have different materials that you can download uh, and in the rule book is all of this lore most of this lore that i've talked about um also on their site there's a series of stories that have uh Inca the spider as the narrator those actually came out before the game they were kind of like preview for the game lore um and you might be able to find some other pieces of lore you know trickled out here and there and obviously the cards themselves are a good place to find lore either in the images or in the um flavor text yeah i had uh i think i had read through the inca one and that was super cool i like it yeah that's pretty cool um, so I'm interested to see what kind of new lore might come out as a result of the um, expansion. Yeah, I, it definitely has put 
now having a, a better idea of, of the lore, it kind of does make me excited to see how they continue along with it. Yeah. And like, and like, I hope that this, this adds like a, a bit of uh, a flavor to, to your play experience when you're, you're playing cards, like we or playing the game. Like we were, cause we went from that, the one episode of, of the kind of back to basics idea and this kind of fell into that too. It was just like, well, so we talked about like how to play the game a little bit. Like, let's talk about like, the 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 periphery around the game and i think the next episode we're going to like talk about you know how to play the the game competitively and what you kind of need to be aware of yeah um so so we'll we'll have that for you next week so uh having said that uh we do have uh some as we had mentioned at the top of the show uh we do have a giveaway to do to do um the strategic dino was very very kind uh to give us some tokens of his to to give away with the the show, uh, so we have some uh, stun and armor tokens that he had made up, and we do have another thing to give away next week. But for now, we're going to give away uh, these these stun and armor tokens. We'll we'll put up a picture, uh, or or send up a link to to his uh, store for that. Um, when this episode comes out, you can either share the post on Facebook or retweet it using hashtag keychainsdino. And then uh, we'll choose a random share or retweeter to receive uh, the prize. Uh, we're going to keep this uh, limited to the the U.S. only, and I believe we're going to cut off for the the following Friday. Yep. So when the um, when the so this will come, this episode will be out on Friday, um, and let's call it midnight the following Friday. Uh, that will cut it off. So this episode will come out on uh, February twenty second. Um, so you have until March 1st, uh, midnight. Well, I guess yep. that would be Eastern Standard Time um, <laughs> in the U.S. Uh, to yeah. retweet. Um, so, yeah, so March 1st would be the deadline. Yeah, and and again, thank you very, very much to uh, Steve at Strategic Dino. He was super cool to to give us these to send out to you guys. Yeah. This stuff's good. Uh, I'm actually. So, uh, I think you. I think you. Were you going to put in an order for some stuff too? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm going to pick up. Like I saw these these stun and armor tokens, and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I almost don't want to give them away, but that would be a real jerk move. So <laughs> I'm just going to buy my own. <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna, I'm thinking about grabbing that that starter set that he's put together, or not the starter set, but just like the complete the little set package, package. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Because it. I just really like those laser cut keys. The only problem is, though, as I want the unique amber too. <laughs> so just you know, set aside a few hundred dollars and just get everything he's ever made. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm sure he'd <laughs> I'm love sure that. he'd be fine with that. So you can also find all of his stuff at strategicdino.com. Uh, that goes right to his Etsy shop, and you can look at uh, all of his awesome things. If you don't win it, uh, you can certainly you know give him some uh, some of your hard earned money. Uh, so you can have the the sweet tokens that he put his hard earned effort into. Yeah, I'm sure you, he. If you can also give him your easily earned money, I don't think he'll care how difficult the money was to come by. No, I yeah, I think that <laughs> if you find a twenty on the street, I'm sure he'll be fine. Like, just send that in. Yeah, uh, don't send money over through the mail. No, yeah, probably not not the physical money, but you know. Uh, so in closing, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Keychains Pod. Or you can send us an email at keychainspod at gmail.com. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next Friday. Take care. Bye.